You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you as we start a new worship series, The Heart That Grew Three Sizes, Finding Faith in the Story of the Grinch. And this this really came about because last year I felt like the Grinch had stolen Christmas away. We were wearing masks, we were outside, we were physically distancing, and there was something something missing. So it's important to name that and claim that and and meditate on it and and, and think about it. Today we start with when when everything goes wrong. You know, at the beginning of Advent, uh, in the Christmas season, the Advent season, we feel like Christmas, it's right around the corner, and, we, and we're excited for that, like, gathering around the fireplace and silver bells. It's kind of like Bing Crosby singing in the background. But actually, in the beginning of the season of Advent, we read Old Testament prophecies, Hebrew scriptures, the prophecies uh, in there. And it, it's kind of, they, they sound kind of grinchy. They're not a lot of fun. It's God saying, I need to intervene. I need to be with my people. It has run amok, and I need to be with them. So... So, uh, in in traditional fashion, we begin the season of Advent with a prophecy from the Old Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's from the prophet Amos, chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. (laughs) I hate, I despise your festivals. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's almost as if the Grinch wrote this text today. God is speaking through the prophet Amos. And he is saying, even your worship makes my stomach churn because you are void of righteousness. You are void of justice. It's almost as if God is standing on Mount Crumpet kind of looking down, just like the Grinch. Listening, he says, it's too loud. It's far too loud. What's happening down there. When, when you think of the word Grinch, when you hear the word Grinch, what is it that you picture in your mind? Do you picture Dr. Seuss's character, that green outsider, Jim Carrey, solve world hunger, tell no one kind of, kind of a character? Maybe, maybe you're thinking about someone you just saw for Thanksgiving. I know you, everyone has cousin whoever it is that you invite because you have to on Thanksgiving, or maybe, maybe the Grinch is is you. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there is something about the season that really grinds our gears, as Peter Griffin might say. You know, it really grinds my gear. You know, what brings the Grinch out in me is terrible Christmas music. I'm a self-avowed music snob, and I know, preachy, stepping on my toes, I know, because one of my least favorite Christmas songs of all time is Little Drummer Boy. Oh, stop it. I mean, still seriously, musically, how many times do you have to say pa-rum-pa-pum-pum before you get it, right? Like how many times do you have to hear that over and over and over again? And it's kind of dumb. Look, there's no parent 
on the planet after they get their child to sleep that wants you banging on a drum when you show up, right? Forget about it. Mary just got Jesus to sleep. And here's this schmuck coming up with a drum. It's the only thing I can offer. No, it's not. Pick up a broom, man. I know there's no room in the end, but you can straighten up the place. Right? It's a dumb, I hate this song. Oh, it, it gets the Grinch in me. Oh, uh, little Drummer Boy is one of them. Uh, uh, where's the line to see Jesus? Is he here at the store? No, he's not. He's not at the Gap, so stop looking. You know, like, it's just, where's the line to see Jesus? Not here, right? Go to church, right? Check this, start there, right? So, it, so my, my, my father, and this, I, I talk about the little drummer boy. It's not, it's not a hypothetical in my family. So when I was five years old, my uncle, Uncle Bobby, who at the time was childless, literally got me a drum for Christmas when I was five years old. And I must have been banging the snot out of that thing day and night all the time because my dad pulled me. Now, Rick Rawl, if you don't know Rick Rawl, my dad, Rick, is typically as cool as the other side of the pillow. Very non-anxious, laissez les bon temps. My mom is the anxious. My dad is laissez les bon temps roulé. Grew up in New Orleans, just very calm. But I must have been beating the snot out of this because he, he brought me over to the side. He goes, son, do you know how drums work? When, when you hit a drum, they're actually boom boom fairies who live inside the drum. So, so when you hit the drum, it, it aggravates the fairies and, and that's how the sound is made. He goes, do, do you want to see the fairies? I'm like, heck yeah, I want to see the fairies. This is amazing. So he took out his pocket knife, opened up the drum. And when he opened up the drum, he went, oh no, the fairies escaped. And you know what? The drum never worked after that. There's something within all of us, I think, can be a bit grinchy. And if we don't keep it in check, it might just lead to us cutting a hole in your son's drum because it's so aggravating. The Grinch hated Christmas. He hated Christmas. When you read the children's story, it's actually italicized. He hated Christmas. But we're never quite told why. The, the title of the book is not Why the Grinch Stole Christmas, it's How. It's all about how. We're not told why. Uh, it says that, well, maybe his shoes are too tight, or maybe his head's screwed on the wrong, maybe he's an Alabama fan. Like, there's, there, we're not told why he hated Christmas. And it's because, it's because hate doesn't need much of a reason. Hate doesn't need much of a reason to become irrational. Hate doesn't need much of a reason to blow stuff up. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been mad for so long that you can't remember why you were angry in the first place? Hate doesn't need much of a reason to be all-consuming. It's like King Herod when we look into Christ's narrative, his infancy narrative. There's King Herod. Now, when you read the Old Testament prophecies, on the one hand, there are these, this, the, blue, the moon is turning to blood and everything's you know, going to hell and God has to intervene. But there are also prophecies talking about how Jesus will be the prince of peace and all of Israel will, will be united under his government and under his leadership. And how could this be a bad thing? 
But King Herod looked at this and he saw it with fear. He saw it with trepidation. He did not want to give up power. And this hatred within King Herod was so berserk that he actually ordered, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that he ordered for all children under the age of two, all, all male children under the age of two, to be slaughtered. If hatred goes unchecked, it takes what you love and attempts to destroy it. That's what hate does. It is manifested in destroying what someone else loves. The Grinch hated Christmas. The Who's loved it. Therefore, he was trying to take what they loved and destroy it. For example, and this is kind of a silly example, in college, when I'm dating myself, but one of my favorite songs was Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve, if you know the song. And it repeats over and over again. Uh, it's like Little Drummer Boy, actually. Um, uh, it's a bittersweet symphony, this life. I was having an argument with one of my fraternity brothers, and he lived literally next door to me in the next room. And I forget what we were fighting about. But the way that he repaid me is he played that song and he set it to repeat. And then he left for the weekend, locking his room. And there is nothing that'll make you put a straight jacket on yourself than hearing that song for 72 hours straight. It's meant, repeat that for 72 hours, right? You find yourself sucking your thumb and rocking like in a corner eventually, right? This is what, that's what hate does, and he's so mad at me. Hate takes something you love and attempts to destroy it. And if you've ever been, if you've ever been in a relationship where you have been vulnerable with another human being, and then that relationship falls apart. And they take something that you love and out of spite and out of hate try to destroy it. Then you know what the Grinch is feeling. Right? That's what hate does. It takes what someone else loves and tries to destroy it, tries to eradicate it, tries to get rid of it. We need, we need the season of Advent as a means to prepare ourselves to receive Christ well. Because there are some things within us, and and I say that if you've been in a relationship that fell apart and someone else took something, maybe it's us, maybe we've we've done that to someone, taken something that they've loved and turned it around because the hatred was so strong. We need the season of Advent to prepare our hearts to receive Christ well, not to gain our own salvation, not in order to please God, but to, to receive Jesus well. It's as if, let's say you get a, a new smoker or a new MacBook or a new cricket or something that takes a little know-how to figure out. And if someone gifted you this, but you didn't read the manual and you didn't invest yourself into it, it's as if the gift had never been given. It's squandered. It's thrown away. Advent is that time of reading the instruction manual so that when the gift is delivered on Christmas Day, we will be ready. We'll be ready for it. Our hearts have been prepared. Interestingly, God kind of sounds like the Grinch 
in our scripture lesson today? I hate, I despise your festivals and I take no delight in your solemn assembly. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It's not so much that hate is the problem. It's we typically hate the wrong things. And here, even in Scripture, God is saying, I hate your worship, Israel. I hate it because it's void of righteousness. It is void of justice. It's just a bunch of noise to me. And irrational hate destroys and tears down. However, a righteous indignation against injustice is what the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures talked about over and over and over again. To the point where God puts on flesh and personally intervenes in the life of humanity, in the person of Jesus. It's kind of like this. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. He, he, Jairus uh, comes to, to meet Jesus, and he's going to Jairus' house. When he gets there, Jesus finds a lot of noise when he gets there. There's weeping. There's wailing. It's, but it's, it's, not, it's not mournful. It's noisy. There's a great difference between the two. So then Jesus says, no, 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 she's not dead. She is sleeping. And they laugh. They laugh at Jesus. They mock Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He puts them out. He kicks them out of the room. Jesus didn't send them to eternal torment, but he did say, you are not prepared to see the beauty of this miracle. Get out. You're not ready. You seeing this miracle will be completely wasted on you with all of this noise going on. Mark chapter 5, he, he kicks him out. And then he says, little girl, get up. And he, then he says to those who stayed in the room, give her something to eat. It was a healing. It was nourishment. But sometimes we are not ready even to see the miracle. And it's because Christmas is disarming. When we read these Hebrew scriptures, we might imagine that Jesus is coming out of the clouds and he's totally buff and he's ripped and he has like a sword and shield and he's ready to kick Rome's butt. And, and, then, and, then, and then we get to Bethlehem and we see a baby. <laughs> what? It's totally vulnerable. It's totally disarming. I mean, imagine Mary and Joseph knowing that their son is the Messiah. No pressure. <laughs> you have to teach him. You have to feed him. You have to bring him to the synagogue. What vulnerability of God to allow God's own son to be raised by, like, regular parents. I know what kind of parent I am. 
and my kids are right there, so I'm going to give very limited details. But the vulnerability of God to have placed that opportunity and that mission in the hands of regular folk is beyond my comprehension. What a great story it would have been if Jesus appeared on the scene at 30 years old and just started teaching and went to the cross and got... Could you imagine teaching Jesus to keep his hands out of the salsa when he goes to someone's house? I mean, this is the kind of regular, hypothetically, it's kind of the regular stuff that God put on flesh in order to redeem. It's disarming. It's like the time uh, Annalie and I were at Downtown Friends on a Saturday morning. And on our way back, she said, Dad, why are they homeless? So, of course, I started giving her like big picture issues. Like, you know, sometimes it's economics, sometimes you can't get a job, sometimes there are addiction issues, and sometimes the market just blah, 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 blah. And she goes, no, 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 no. Why is the church not doing more? So her question, why are they homeless, was not about me. She didn't want me to talk about their deficiencies of being homeless. She was asking, what is my deficiency? What's my problem? And she asked, isn't the sanctuary empty every night? Oh, I'll just stick the knife in and twist it, right? Because sometimes the gospel can only be communicated by children because they have not been harpooned by life yet. So God comes to us as a baby, totally disarming, revealing God's vulnerable love to us. Or Stanley Hauerwas says, to be human is to be vulnerable, but to be a baby is to be vulnerable in a manner we spend a lifetime denying. To be human is to be vulnerable, but to be a baby is to be vulnerable in a manner we spend a lifetime denying. So, the season of Advent is a time to prepare. It is supposed to be convicting. It is supposed to make us squirm a bit in our pew. It is supposed to make us think, you know what? Annalie might have a point. Our sanctuary is empty every night. What's our problem? It is supposed to be a time to investigate what in our life needs transformation in order to receive Christ well, which is why we have these these ornaments here. Let me tell you a little bit about these. Uh, They're in the back of the sanctuary, and I I want you to pick one up, one per family, but if there's leftovers, please take them. Um, It's an ornament, and I want you to to bring it home, and I want you to decorate it, I want you to put something in it, but I want you to be mindful of what in your life needs an intervention from God. What in your life needs Jesus to be born inside of it? Whether it is a hatred for something or someone, maybe it's a bottle you can't put down or something you can't pick up. Maybe it's a piece of technology that you just can't take out of your hands. What is it that needs the good news that the angels announced to the shepherds? And I want you to decorate it with that in mind or, or write a slip of paper and put it inside. It doesn't have to be fancy. This is not, it's not going to be judged of, of its you know, artistic merit right? But you will take it home with you 
and you will be mindful of what needs transformation in your life and then you will bring it back. I'm not going to tell you just when yet or why. But I want you to take this home. I want you to fill it with something that needs an intervention from God. And I want you to bring it back with you in a couple of weeks. Because part of the Christmas story is preparing ourselves for a miracle. Y'all, if you're not expecting a miracle, then what are we doing? If you're not running to Bethlehem with haste to see what God is doing, what are we doing here? The season of Advent is to prepare our hearts for a miracle so that we don't miss it. Our salvation does not depend on our preparation. Our salvation has already been forged by the power of the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ. It could be delivered on our doorstep. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we haven't read the instruction manual, if we haven't done the work, then we won't know how to use it. It's wasted. It's as if it hadn't been given. And I hope you are looking for a miracle. (laughs) What area of your life does God need to intervene? How can your heart grow three sizes this year? What does God need to capture in your story? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, author of life, you who calls us to fill our worship and our mission and our service with justice and righteousness for all of your children, Father, pour out your spirit upon us. Help us to investigate those areas in which we need an intervention from you. Father, enter into our flesh this Christmas so that our hands and feet might be dedicated to holy work. Inspire us with your vulnerable love this day so that we might taste the transformation that we read in your story. Help us to believe it to be true. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen and amen. shepherd I won't be wanting I won't be wanting He makes me right